You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. ago we introduced the world to Sir Reginald Tag and the narrator. I got to take part in my first Dungeons and Dragons campaign and in some small way got to experience some of the imaginative bliss that people have talked about for years. It took some figuring out, however thanks in large part to my esteemed co-hosts and fellow dungeon crawlers, I got to have silly fun with it and make mistakes. We're lucky that we live in a time when long distance Dungeons and Dragons campaigns are possible and last week we got an announcement that took that to a whole new level. And I'll let Vince explain. This came completely out of nowhere. They just dropped this on us. The announcement of Sword Coast Legends. It's the new uh, game from, what were they called? Goodness. Enspace <laughs> and Digital Extremes working together. Uh, actually under the leadership of the director of the original Dragon Age Origins. So Wizards uh, went out and found some solid workers to industry veterans to put this game together. And at first, when you're looking at it, it seems like it's a solid follow-up to Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and Icewind Dale. And they even going so far as to say, yes, you can have one to four player co-op, everything you loved about those games, fun party members. And this is where uh, they're talking uh, about the Dragon Age influence. They really want to bring a lot of that into it with the character development and the working with your party. I'm like, okay, sounds like a pretty fun game. And then they drop in the tail end of that trailer. Oh, by the way, there's a DM mode where one person can take control of the world and design and encounters and use the enemies against the cooperative players. And that took a game that was originally pretty cool to, holy crap, I have to have this. I, when I read that and I got to that point, I, I literally could see you losing your shit. I, <laughs> pretty much. It yes. was just like, oh my God, his Full brain must be occurred. exploding right now. <laughs> well, I mean, this is just like the natural evolution of what you would expect to see since, uh, what was it, Neverwinter Nights had something similar to this where a player could actually create the world and dungeon and adventure to send players right. on. And this is just like the next evolution of it, and it's just awesome to see. Yeah, but see, well, this is what, just to, to quickly, and then you can keep going, mm-hmm. Vince, like this is what we expected years ago, like literally, like decades ago this is the kind of thing that you would have thought wouldn't be that difficult to code that we would be able to be doing this. And we never really got it. So when, at least for me, when I was watching the announcement, they were talking about it and then reading about it, it was like, finally, because again, we, I, I don't have the experience, the breadth of experience that you guys have, obviously. And there are a lot of other people who, have done a lot more D and D I'm sure than even you guys. But 
I've always wanted to. And the idea of that, again, creating your own campaigns and whatnot and being able to do that in this game, even as someone who doesn't have, again, that breadth of experience still really excites me because that means I can translate some of the ideas, some of the stories that I have into these that we can all do together as well. That's extremely exciting. You don't have to just be this veteran DM for, for, for years to actually appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah, you can just use your storytelling experience and let the game do all the rules work for you. Yeah. But yeah, that's like you really said, Joe, good for you, like you. Yeah. yeah. We saw that in Neverwinter Nights, and Neverwinter Nights had a great, you know, kind of uh, build your own adventure tool. But at the end of the day, it was just building your own adventure. You had no control over it once the players you know, stepped into it. It was just a map builder, if you will, a cool map builder. But and how long has it been since then that we never saw that next step that we're finally getting? It's actually interesting. This was announced, I think, the day after BioWare announced Shadow Realms was canceled. Yeah, and I think so. Sh- Shadow Realms was pretty much this experience from what they were describing. I was like, okay, asymmetrical gameplay has become pretty popular lately with Evolve and other games of its type, and and. What I liked about Shadow Realms was it had that DM feel where you weren't just controlling a creature. You were controlling the world against the players. So when it was canceled, I was really disappointed. And then thankfully, uh, they didn't wait very long to announce this one. So it, it was actually really interesting timing. I wonder if it was planned or it, they just lucked out. I would say just lucked out. But I, I don't know. Wizards of, the, Wizards of the Coast is notorious for planning very proper, proper uh, reveals like this they bide their time they, they're known for this shit so as for what we actually know about the game at this point because they've actually been pretty light on details uh, like we said it's a full single player campaign with uh, from the leadership team that brought dragon age origins there are five playable races and six classes to choose from it's built on the fifth edition rule set so anybody that followed our campaign it's going to be very similar uh, as far as character creation and all that goes Maybe even have a narrator voice if we're lucky. (laughs) Well, that's something they did in Dungeons & Dragons online that I really liked. That Every time you entered an instance, you actually got that narration. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And it takes place in Sword Coast, which is in the Forgotten Realms. And Forgotten Realms is the default setting for 5th edition. And it's the one a lot of players know best from the Baldur's Gate games and the... uh, the novels and, and all that stuff. So it's it's probably their most popular setting at this point, as long as you're not an old school gamer who shakes their fist at any time the Forgotten Realms is mentioned. Well, it's either Forgotten Realms or Greyhawk. Those are the two uh, two big baddies as far as like most most prevalent that people would recognize from any games. Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting is once I went over to the, the pre-order page and seeing, well, first of all, the game's only 40 bucks. So that's... Pretty surprising, right then and there. But Who's I saw picking the, up that edition. Huh? Everybody's going to be getting the deluxe. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> like, yes, everybody's going to be getting the deluxe. But when I look at it, how it breaks down is the regular game is you know the player's handbook, if you will, and the deluxe edition is basically the GM version of the game because you get the game, you get the tome of knowledge, which I'm going to assume is you know a rule book of some sort, and then all kinds of cool DM exclusive tools, you know beholders, uh, you know little special tokens, and even dungeon tile sets, which gets me really excited because when I first saw this, I was like, okay, are we just going to be able to kind of tinker with pre-existing 
map layouts and whatnot. But if they're giving us dungeon tiles from a DM perspective, that mean that at least gives me the idea that I'm going to have full control to completely design anything I want, and you'll never hear from me again. That tome of knowledge, by the way, it gives uh, players a boost to their attributes and abilities. Ah, damn. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I also even like how they're doing like a, a five pack where you can have. Just like yeah. as if it was a traditional game, you can have one DM and four players, which is actually something a lot of groups do. Like they'll pull together their resources to have enough books for everybody to have what they need. But as it always is, the DM is the one with all, that has all the books. <laughs> yeah, yep. this would be I, the way they list it for those um, the campaign ones. They only list one of all the extras and then just the extra copies of the game. Right. So, I mean, if people are getting free copies or whatever, then there's no sense complaining but i know i'm getting that 60 dollar one <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm sure I, most people are yes getting that yes <laughs> and even going farther it's not just designing your own encounters designing your own missions they've said that dms will have the ability to design entire campaigns now, so you can carry forward things from one mission setting into another and being a full-fledged you know level one to 20 adventure if you want the only thing that i was more curious about is that it says quite prominently that the DM is going to be to assist the group. So I don't know about how it's going to work for them if they can control enemies or put enemies in their way or, or, or what. Well, that's more the design philosophy of modern tabletop role playing games. And it's something that Wizards has really kind of lifted up in fifth edition prior to previous editions where the philosophy is isn't so much that the dm is playing against the players the dm isn't trying to kill the players the dm's responsibility is to create an interesting story and a challenge level so that everybody has fun so yeah it's not for against one it's for plus one it, it it's definitely in line with how wizards is marketing dungeons and dragons as a whole yeah. Well, it's a big shift, too, because it marks – you could chart that, too, because the fourth edition was very much GM versus players. Like, the entire game was built on that. And then they noticed what was happening as far as, like Vin said, like, the shift in the industry was that it was a collaborative storytelling environment. Like, the tabletop role-playing games became that. So having the ability to do that with this, having it presented in such a way that it's not I'm trying to kill you, but we're all trying to make an interesting and fun story together, that's exactly what I look for as far as, like, current tabletop games. That that alone, if I knew nothing else about this game, that alone would make it a must-purchase for me. Mm-hmm. And one last thing that I'm really hoping they kind of go in this direction. Uh, last month, they had announced the next storyline coming up for 5th edition in Elemental Evil. And I know you were really excited about this, Joe. And Wizards is showing really good brand synergy where they're releasing the uh, rule books for the modules for the tabletop game. They're releasing an expansion for their board game that's out. They're putting the Elemental Evil storyline into the Neverwinter MMO, which I actually started installing last night because I want to check it out now. And I, I, I'm really hoping that they can take that same synergy to this. And as the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop game expands, keep giving us extra tools that we can use for Tales of the Sword Coast because that would be fantastic where it can be a living, breathing, evolving thing on its own. So – Interesting side story real quick about just Wizards of the Coast. I remember I have a bunch of friends that went to a industry sort of like 
it's where all the companies got together and they did their big reveals about their numbers and their their business plans and everything like that with each other. And it was very, very interesting because it was like Wizards of the Coast, Privateer Press, a whole bunch of other companies. And Wizards of the Coast CEO came out onto the stage and immediately said, we fucked up. And that was the first words out of his mouth. And he started charting everything that was wrong, everything that was different, everything that failed, and how they're going to fix it. And the biggest thing that he mentioned, it was two years ago, was that they needed more brand synergy because their games were not drag and drop. And Vince hit the nail right on the head with that. You're starting to see that across the board. Temple of Elemental Evil coming out as an expansion, as a standalone rule set. Um, the card games that are starting to come out for it. The board games that are, are starting. Everything is interchangeable. Everything plays well with each other. And everything lends itself well to each other. They are making incredibly smart choices now that players old and new have been looking for. And it's fantastic to see. See, it's actually really funny. I I should have had this available. I didn't think of it until just now. There was an article a week or so ago. I'll dig it up uh, and you can put it in the show notes, Roger, but I forget where it was. But it was basically one of the lead designers at Obsidian Entertainment, the company that did Baldur's Gate and all those other games and how they're no longer working on Dungeons and Dragons titles. Instead, they're now working on Pathfinder games. And the the, the headline in the article and the big you know, quote was – lead uh, designer says Dungeons and Dragons has lost its way. And he then goes on to give absolutely no proof or anything to back up that statement. (laughs) Instead, he talks about how Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro. So you have to go through too many people. Whereas Paizo, it's just Paizo. If you want to make a Pathfinder game, you're talking to one person. And I can understand from that point, but to make such a big statement that Dungeons and Dragons has lost its way and not giving any sort of proof to, to supplement that. And as we see right here, they may have lost their way, but it looks like they're finding it again. Well, there was a hell of a lot of excitement for this. Like when this was announced, holy Christ, Twitter went ballistic. So the the thing that I loved, and this is where we, we haven't been given enough information yet, is the it it actually looks really friggin' good. Mm-hmm. Like the when you look at spell effects the, are ridiculous. Yeah, if you look at this in in 1080p or, or higher the the trailers, and you look at the actual lay of the land and what it looks like it actually looks very good and it reminded me again a lot of dragon age origins of course and so like when you pull back it has a nice look about it but you zoom in and christ it looks great and what i was thinking is again i'm curious how it's going to work for the dms because the the way they talked it's not just that you're going to be be the DM in existing adventures, but you can make your own. However, mm-hmm. they didn't say whether that means you're going to have to make your own within their map or if you can use their tools and make your own maps as well. So um, I said the fact that they're giving us add-on tile sets leads me to believe there's going to be at least some, some. freeform design. But yeah, like for me, I'm more interested in how they're going to handle story. Yeah, you can do great combat encounters and whatnot, but what if I just want, you know, a town? You know, there, there needs to be a shopkeeper for Bob to steal from. There needs to be an innkeeper for Roger to curse out. Like, I, I'm sorry, Sir Reginald to curse out. So I, I, I'm really interested in seeing what they do with NPCs and actual story elements because it looks like the combat and encounter side of things is going to be pretty fun and solid. Yeah, but see, look at what you do, you're doing with us right now. Well, you may not be able to do that at all, 
in if they don't allow you to create your own you know dungeon with its own tracks and things like that or mm-hmm. at minimum you would have access to maybe a dungeon that has some tracks but be very limited in terms of what it can do which then has a serious impact in your storytelling ability because you now have to cater your story to the land and not vice versa and the the better is the vice versa where you have more control over what you want it all to be so that's again it's it may just be that we have to shoehorn in whatever story we want to tell within reason, which is still better than what we've got now anyway. But I, I really hope that they do allow us a, a lot of flexibility in how we we want to build the world, kind of our world. Yeah, I think it would be a major misstep for them to talk so much about how the characters and the story and the solo or co-op campaign is so interesting and then not give those tools but it's like we don't know at this point so it's it's a big question mark but i'm hopeful because going back to that brand synergy just like the gm being a part of the game instead of an adversary another thing that they've really started to build towards if you recall from my feature last week week before whenever we did it that actual storytelling is becoming a big focus for them as well. They've realized they've got these great combat rules. These combat rules have been around for decades you know, with some refinement, but they've never really had impetus to tell a story. Like It's always just been sort of players have taken it upon themselves to tell the stories. This is, in 5th edition, is really the first time I've seen sections of the Dungeon Master's Guide specifically telling the GM or not telling the GM, but recommending... Yeah, recommending to the GM ways to actually tell a story and give NPCs more fleshed out. So, again, going back to the brand synergy, I think that's something that they'll have considered, and I'm very hopeful at least. I'm also really hopeful that maybe over time, part of the DLC that they'll release for this will include, say, the more classes and and races and stuff like that. Because I know that, like, oh, I'm sure there's going to be DLC add-ons out yeah. the ass on this game. Oh yeah, because when we were doing the, the three, it's going to be DLCs. Yeah, because well, it took just, forever. There were so many. Getting in the deluxe packs where they're giving you specific tile sets and specific monster tokens. I guarantee yeah, it. Even flat out says it. It says that the studio also plans the uh, post-launch DLC modules to expand the universe. Oh, awesome! So we'll 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 get those. We'll we'll see. Like, I'm sure we're going to see like race and class combinations. We're going to see things that mimic the books because we're getting to a point now where I think the next player's handbook's probably going to wind up coming out or the next supplement. We're just going to start seeing that stuff. I, it would be folly for them not to. And the other thing too, of course, is whether or not your character is not just for a specific campaign, but if you can mm-hmm. take it into other campaigns as well. Did you guys read about that? I didn't see anything on that, no. Because that'd be a big one. Like if we, like if I work on Sir Reginald for, you know, however long and you create this massive campaign, I would like to keep him so, around for other ones as well. That, that's if that's they, tricky territory. If they follow anything like they did with Neverwinter Nights, though, what you did is you had an individual character that you owned that you leveled up and that when people created modules or quests or stories, they gave it a specific level range so that when you had a campaign available, it would be level 15 through 17. And then if you had a character that fell into that range, you could join that game while it was running or you weren't allowed to if you didn't meet the level requirements if you were too high or too low. Um, so, I mean, if they did something like that, I could easily see them saying, yes, you get to keep your character, but there's going to be some form of restriction between campaigns and bouncing through. Yeah. See, like, look at it this way. Like, I'm specifically designing R for the lore campaign 
around you, Sir Reginald, and Tag. And I know what levels you're going to be. I know what sort of magic items you're going to have access to because I'm designing it. I'm pacing it. So if you guys are, you know, say level three, you know, clearing out, I don't know, a, a temple in the for- in the jungle and all of a sudden Tart the Conqueror comes across <laughs> with her plus three sword of cupcakes. <laughs> I mean, it's really going to throw out the balance. So there, there has to be some sort of level of control from the GM over what they're willing to allow within their adventure. Tag disappears and the bushes start shaking. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Do not concern yourself. I'm handling the threat. Narrator! <laughs> damn you. <laughs> okay, any parting thoughts, boys? And I'm, I just need more. It's out this year, which yeah. <laughs> they just kind of dropped this on us. Oh, my God. Oh, and you're going to be able to play it within, you know, the next nine to ten months. So Did they say anything uh, about packs? They haven't said packs? anything about anything. They just dropped this out of the sky and have Look, left us with our mouths on the floor. Looking at these screenshots, I'm going to be incredibly surprised if they do not have a booth set up specifically for this at PAX East. Yeah. I and mean, barring that, I mean, I'm sure at least Dragon Con and stuff like that, they'll be, have a presence. Oh, yeah. Dragon Con and Gen Con, they can they yeah. can rope those people in real easy. Okay, moving on. Let's tackle some of the news from the week. One of the big things to happen in the last little bit has been the dissolution of SOE, well, I should say takeover, by Daybreak. And this has really thrown a wrench into a whole bunch of different things. We've got some different layoffs, we've got resignations, and things like SOE Live has now been scrapped, which was something I was actually really looking forward to. $115 a month would open up a lot of different things. Certainly it wouldn't open up EQ Next, but it still would allow you to play a lot of the other MMOs. But now, something I've been thinking companies should be doing for a oh long God, time yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So now, though, basically everything's up in the air. And while they're saying that some things won't be affected, we find out that you know creative leads are, are leaving. The creative lead for Planetside uh, actually resigned. The um, global community relations lead linda carlson was sacked as well as the eq franchise lead dave uh georgeson now those are instrumental people Mm -hmm. for the eq franchise and what people some people i mean if you're not playing eq2 you may not realize i mean eq2 came out at the same time as wow it doesn't have as many players but it's still going strong this is going to be affecting a lot of that not to mention of course eq Next, which is still being worked on, and Landmark. And again, they they say that it's not going to have a huge impact, but then we read about a lot of layoffs. Exactly. So this is fairly huge because there were a lot of people very excited about EQ Next. I mean, there's a lot of people with the H1Z1 as well that they're saying that's business as usual, but who really knows? And then Planetside as well has got hit. But EQ Next, especially, there's people that are holding off on MMOs right now for that one specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm also curious because I happen to know somebody who was working on EQ Next, and I haven't heard from him since this announcement. Oh, that's not good. So, like, I have no clue what's going on. Like, he's a friend of mine. He does all their he does like their quest and lore stuff. And yeah, so I, I have no clue what's going on with those teams or anything like that. This feels an awful lot like a company came in and just like we were talking about uh, on 
comic book informer with the Spider-Man and the movies, knowing that Sony is looking to offload some yeah. of their marketable assets, it's like they just came in and they just want the IPs. They don't care about the player bases. They don't care about the people that are working on it. They don't care about it. They, just, they see a profitable IP and something that they can exploit for their own means. And that, that's what a lot of this Daybreak stuff feels like to me. Yeah. It's yeah. Not too bad. Uh, some other news. <laughs> I love that it's, like, it's a little late, but <laughs> Bundy decided that maybe they should uh, do something about the story. Vince, you got this? You see, here's the thing. I mean, the, the, the writing staff has been under turmoil since well before the game launch. People have come in, people have come out. And so they bring in uh, a guy from Guild Wars to be their lore, their lore master, yeah. John Ryan, one of, the, one of the instrumental writers for Guild Wars. And see, here's the thing about Destiny. They don't need a lore master. Like, there's actually a lot of really good story behind Destiny. Like, if you read through the grimoire and all that, like, it's the there. lore and the characters and the story isn't what's the problem. It's translating that into the game and presenting it to the player. That's presentation, the presentation, yeah, presentation. It's, it's not the writers. It's the the designers. And I, I, it, it's kind of confusing to me. I think they're coming at this from the wrong angle. Well, what I'd read, too, is that they are still down several writers. Of the, they, they've actually got job yeah, postings for a nightmare for years. Yeah, they're still looking for a lead writer and narrative designer. So... They they do need writing staff, but like you're saying, that I think what they need more so than that though is good quest designers, somebody mm-hmm. who can build epic storylines and quest lines that actually translate the existing lore in a way that makes sense and that's impactful because otherwise it's a jumbled mess and it has always been. They had their expansion in December and. That didn't make anything more clear. <laughs> they said they were going to try to, but I don't know about you. I certainly did not feel that one bit. I can definitely tell they were at least trying, trying? harder. <laughs> I'm not going to say they succeeded on that front, but they they at least tried to make a narrative from point A to point B that made a little more sense than, oh, yeah, just go here and get this thing. What I find most telling is that the most dramatic, impactful, heart-wrenching Destiny quote-unquote story was the Penny Arcade cartoon that they did (laughs) of the female, what was it, a hunter, I think? Yeah. That was like dying and fighting off till the last breath, and you're going like, that hit me square in the fucking chest. And it's like, oh my God, that's the experience I want in this game that I have not gotten. And again, I'm slamming on it, but I still bounce into the game and play. Oh, the game's fun as hell. Absolutely. The game is amazing in so many different ways. Not without its flaws, but so freaking good. But the story is... Ridiculous. It's not just that it's non-existent. It's a convoluted mess is what it is. And so, yeah, when when I read that story and, and they, they talked about it on Reddit like crazy too, and everybody was agreeing, was like, oh my God, where is this in the game? That's what we need more of. And and it's true. Like, imagine that setting and something that impactful that you damn near cry at the end. It's like, oh my God. And instead we get freaking dinkle bot stupidity. <laughs> 
Okay. I, I, I'm sorry. Just, just quickly, go ahead. Cause you didn't uh, go around like with any of the fallen ghosts and any of that stuff. Did you? I did some of it, but I didn't go out of my way to get yeah, like, all. I, I set aside a weekend to just get all of the dead ghosts and the story elements that are locked away in those dead ghosts. It's a lot of stuff like that. It's, big battles and dramatic moments. And like I said, the story and the writing aren't the problem. Yes, they could use some work. Like I said, the problem is presenting it in the actual game world. Like the grimoire isn't even in the game. I have to yeah. go to Bungie's freaking website to read. It. And that's not well arranged either. That's a oh, freaking it, pain in the ass. They have overhauled that interface three or four times and it's still awful. Yeah, womp, womp. I one of the guys that I knew from uh, my uh, Wildstar Guild, he went head over heels into the game as well, and was posting various stories, some of the favorites that he'd found, and it was like, oh man, that's amazing! Why isn't that in the game? That's mm-hmm. freaking awesome! And that's what it is constantly. Like, and it's the same problem Bungie had with Halo. Bungie designed a fantastic backstory for Halo. With, you know, the UNSC and the Covenant and all the different races and the politics and like it was a fantastic backstory. The Halo novels were actually pretty damn good. None of it was in the game. Not a damn bit. The the little bit of it that was in the game was like like hand waving. Like, yeah, okay, Uh, these guys don't like those guys. Go kill them. (laughs) All right, let's move on. The game that I've been waiting for for so freaking long coming out this week. And that's the order, 1886. A little concerning, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just a touch concerning. A player by the name of Play Me Through posted the entire game, including all of the cutscenes, and it clocks in at five and a half hours. Now, they talked to the founder and CEO and creative director at Ready Ed Don, Rue, uh, we Rasuya, whatever, Rue, let's call him Rue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who said that that's simply not possible. Okay. That, I, 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 I guarantee you it's possible. But there were the, – the problem that I had was that they wouldn't say how long it actually is when asked. That's a <laughs> big concern. I feel like we've had a couple, couple podcast episodes devoted entirely to games that do this. Yeah, I – This and, happens all the time. You know what really – see, the, the thing is, is that they went on to talk about, you know, how – it's about quality, not quantity. Okay, fine. I'm fine with that. And there's, there's, they, they spent all of their attention on the important things. There was actually a new video that just came out t- today. That's why I wasn't in the show notes that talked about the different characters and the work that went into like Galahad and, and Sebastian. And it was really, really quite interesting to show all that and things like that. I'm cool with that. But... If it's clocking in at five and a half hours and it's selling at full price, I don't care if that jacket flaps in the breeze authentically. <laughs> That's yep. too much money. Now, some of the comments ranged, of course, you can't always believe everybody. And some of the people, the, the consensus was closer to nine hours. Even then, that's still pretty freaking short for a full game. Especially a game with no multiplayer and That's probably very little replay value. So the the multiplayer is a big one because I know a lot of people bitch and complain and think that it's just something that they tack on because the publishers tell them to because it becomes a cash cow. And in some cases, yeah, that is what it is. But in some cases, you get a Mass Effect 3 multiplayer that nobody would have thought it would have been as absolutely incredible 
as it actually was. So, and this here, because of the setting, because of all the characters in play and everything, and the weapon types, I actually really thought that a multiplayer would be insanely cool and quite possibly very popular for this as well. So like, here's here's the thing that's more troubling for me personally is like, OK, five and a half hours and people actually watched the videos and broke it down of those five and a half hours. Almost two of it was just cut scenes. Cut scenes. not not counting interactive QTE cutscenes. Just put Ooh. your controller down and grab a drink cutscenes. And, and as anybody who has heard me talk about games like Metal Gear Solid and you know, Final Fantasy, that is my absolute most hated thing in modern gaming is people have forgotten how to tell a story within the game. Yeah. You know what's most troubling for me? I pre-ordered this the day before this was released. Oh. <laughs> I was looking at the Why pre-order. You, pre-order you know what's funny is that I kept saying, okay, that's it. I'm done pre-ordering. I'm, I'm going to freaking wait. And then I read more about this. And then I was looking at the pre-order page and I said, I'm going to buy it. I know I'm going to buy it. I might as well just buy it. And then I, I'll get this pre-order bonus crap. So I said, ah, what the hell? So I pre-ordered it the next fucking day. This video comes out and it's like, you goddamn bastards. That special pre-order jacket that nobody else will see because it's a single player only game better be, better worth be nice. It. it better be nice. That's see, like, the thing that I think like, about, the, the thing that I, I thought, and I'm trying, I, I try not to equate the money for a game as compared to a movie experience or stuff like that, because I feel they are different. And a lot of people will say, yeah, but look how much you'd be paying for five and a half hours of movie or whatever kind of thing. And it's like, no, it's completely different. Five and a half hours is short. It, it's too short, way, way too short. I don't need to have something that's a hundred hours long, but five and a half is just too short. If they can pull in, you know, between 15 to 20, then fine. I'll actually be clocking myself the entire time that I play <laughs> just to see because sometimes I'll leave it on and kind of walk away. So I want to make sure I get an accurate time. I mean, Jesus, I've got no excuse not to finish the damn thing. <laughs> At five and a half hours, I got no excuse. Well, look at it this way. This That's weekend, I soaked afternoon, man. <laughs> This weekend, I played through the first episode of Life is Strange, and it was a three-hour experience and fully interactive. There was no cutscenes where it at least wasn't you know cutting to me every few seconds for an input or a dialogue choice or something. And that was five bucks. Yeah, <laughs> like it, yeah. the 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 gaming landscape has changed to such a point where. Game length actually is a concern as far as where people are going to put their money. And I don't mind a short game. That's what initially sure. I was the point like, I was trying to make. I don't mind I, that at all. But it's for the the price has to match that. And right. I can't after this, I can't support <laughs> spending seventy bucks on a five and a half hour game. That to me is that's a company that's that's ripping you off. And I again, I appreciate, yeah, that you put all this work into it and the score and it's going to be this majestic experience. Fine, we'll see when I play it. It better damn well be. But, I mean, it still feels like you're being ripped off at that price. It's a ridiculous amount to charge. 
Well, especially if when you just... consider all the other games that we've played, like even in the last 10 years that were cheaper but offered more game experience, like you hit with the, the Telltale games are the perfect example. At $25 for all five episodes. And how many hours did we get out of each of those? One like, and a half, two on the low end. On the low end. Per episode. Per episode. Over five episodes for 25 bucks. Like, you look at that value proposition versus this, I, I, I would be lighting people on fire if I was Roger. The, again, what's funny is that, again, I'm, I'm back and playing Arkham Asylum and having fun. And I remember you, Joe, actually making a comment saying that it was short. You found it short. Eight hours. Well, I'm over that already. I'm over that already. And I don't, I don't think I'm close to the end yet. I might be, and I'm, 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 I'm not judging it properly, but I still think I have quite a while to go. And it's not like I'm taking my time either, and it's not like I'm having a hard time either. Some of the fights I'm having to do a couple of times, but it's not too, too bad. But again, I'm looking at that and thinking that's still quite a few hours there for, the, the again, the bang for the buck kind of thing compared to five and a half fucking hours. <laughs> I swear it better be more than that, or I will be... I would be upset. I, I guarantee you five and a half is objective point to objective points. You know, no exploration. Like, I don't even know if there is exploration in the game. But. That, that's the other thing. Like, Batman, you can, you can go and explore things. And there yeah. are side quests and there are side things to do. So it can take you more than eight hours. But if, it's, if there's none of that in this yeah. game... Well, we will see because, again, I will be playing it. Obviously, I bought the damn thing. And I would have <laughs> bought it eventually, but... Uh, when it went on sale kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I will definitely be reporting on how long it takes and how many, you know, Field of Roses. Let's see, game comes out through. Friday, so you can tell us Saturday afternoon. <laughs> oh, better not. Better not. Oh, God. Okay, we got another trailer last week that was freaking cool as shit. Joe, I'll let you take this. Oh, now, now we're going to go the complete opposite end of the spectrum <laughs> to a game that's going to consume you for hours on end. Just Cause 3 just released their debut trailer, and it starts with a wonderful, insane look at the subconscious of their main character, complete with flaming explosions, muscle cars, and just surreal, absolute violent music and motions. It's absolutely phenomenal. And then at the end of it, you get to see this completely blank, dead face look of their main character getting ready to like, you know, just diving through like the, air. the world expect, on oh. fire with the world on fire. And you expect, Oh, he's just going to parachute. Nope. Fuck that. Wait <laughs> suit. Cause why not? So anybody who's not familiar with the just cause series, this game is so over the top. It's not even funny. Like the, the stories about this game, like it's, it's an open sandbox style, single player game, but it's like the stuff you can do is ridiculous, like strapping C4 to propane tanks and just to make it go further because you can. Uh, it has the the grappling hook with the steel cable that like attaches to your back and you fling it out like your bionic commando. And it's absolutely phenomenal. Like this game is just ridiculous over the top cartoon violence. You want to ride an airplane or a fighter jet into combat? Congratulations. You're not going to fly in it. Actually right on top of it. <laughs> What I love yeah, is they say fun. that the, the 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 character actually can use guns. Yes. But nobody ever does. Yep. <laughs> Cuz why would you when you could put two other things together that are far more awesome? 
Well, I mean, even if you're just like in this one, they have a, they have the, you see a screenshot of him in his wingsuit flying with an AK-47 strapped to his back. And all I can think to myself is, why would I do that? If I'm in a wingsuit, I want something with a sharp metal edge. Let me go after bad guys that way. That'll make me happy. That's oh, it's just it's it's so I love this game series and I cannot wait for this. Also, the simple fact that they're talking about they're expanding how many things you can combine because yes. they want it to be like <laughs> as if there wasn't enough already. They want to give you more. They want to give you more things to put together. And on top of that, they want you to be able to get around the world quicker. Like that was one That's of my only ones. Well, that just cause two was phenomenal. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous world for the time frame that it was released. The graphics were phenomenal. It just took you bloody fucking forever to get anywhere. Now you have so many, so much more choices for locomotion that you get to actually experience the world as a whole. And that makes it really cool to me. I mean, this is Mediterranean Batman. I want to fucking fly around this goddamn place. Yeah. Like I, I, I have nothing but respect from a game designer that looks and says, man, people don't really care about our story and, you know, doing missions the way we want them to. So many designers would then redesign the game to force players to play the way they want them to. Mm. Whereas here with Just Cause, they're taking it complete opposite direction going, fuck it. We don't care if you do any missions. (laughs) Here's an airplane and a helicopter. (laughs) Have fun. All right. Moving on. One of the big things that we've been excited for and it just happened today i believe actually was he got ripped out of my bank account this afternoon <laughs> shadow run yep. hong kong has topped its million dollars and is funded joe i'll let you take this as well it has ended its glorious rise to the top <laughs> at 1.2 million dollars funded this is phenomenal especially when you consider their original goal to make this game was a hundred thousand dollars that is insane. So what do we get at the million dollar mark? Now, remember, we were begging people to donate and buy into this game like we were. Oh, we could go. It didn't look like they were going to quite make it. Yeah, I and was it, worried. It, and it looks like they weren't going to get it. Then all of a sudden, there's this huge explosion of people. Not only do we get our, you know, revamped Matrix, which is increased art and gameplay that makes Deckers worth a damn. But now we get a wonderful additional four to five hour campaign that tax on after the game, the main story of the game in which you can import your character and is supposed to be so ramped up in difficulty that only a character that has high karma, which is their version of experience points, uh, can actually go through it. And it's going to be free to every backer at the $15 pledge level or higher. That's a huge thing. And that's a huge thank you. We're talking about length of gameplay here. I've spent, I can't even tell you <laughs> as how many long as the order ones. <laughs> The expansion that you're getting for free is going to be as long well, as the order. <laughs> if, but if, if we're talking about amount of gameplay to cost, that messenger bag wasn't cheap. Yes. So. <laughs> you let us know how that is. This, this isn't a $60 game for me. But well, you could sell ex- off the extra exciting. copies that you're getting. True. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you're obviously getting a few extras. Joe, what did you wind up pledging? The $75 two so, copy. Same with me. So, yeah, we're going to get the two older ones, of which I actually don't have Dragonfall. I have the other one, but not uh, Dragonfall. So that'll be awesome. I'll get that. I already, them. I'm going to wind up giving them away. I'm going to give them to my son. He doesn't have them. So I already told him, there you go. You got some free games. So, uh, so yeah. And then that five-hour mini campaign, mm-hmm. I I almost actually forgot about this until 
I saw somebody, it, it was a Twitter thing because I had forgotten to, to donate and it was like, oh shit. And then I saw it and it was immediately donated because I would hate to miss out on that, again, that five hour campaign, let alone the rest of it, which is I'm quite certain is going to be fun. Plus the source books, now that we're doing this stuff online. I'm really kind of looking forward to that. I'm hoping we can do that as well. That oh, would be I would, a crap load of fun. I would kill the run shadow run for you punks. You kidding me? Oh yeah. And I'm down for that anytime. So that's like, as soon as we get these source books, man, that'd be a blast. So I, I was surprised that they said they, they weren't going to go for another stretch goal at the end. Um, they played it safe there kind of thing. I think if they had gone for, you know, a one point, one and a quarter that maybe they would have gotten that last 50 or 46,000. At that point, they were probably out of ideas. Well, there's that too. So <laughs> who knows? Uh, well, better. The, other thing, the other thing to watch out to for the, for this one as well is this seems like a situation where a lot of people were tweeting at them that they couldn't get the money together to donate or get in to the Kickstarter before it ended. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Slacker Backer opening up as well. Uh, now that they've gotten those marks so that if just, just as a heads up for those people that maybe have caught on to this later on or didn't know it existed until they listened to us or, or whatever the case is, um, if you haven't gotten a chance to donate or get in early, keep your eyes peeled, follow their Twitter accounts, follow their social media, keep your eyes peeled. I would not be surprised if we see another slacker backer opening for this, especially with the demand. Yeah. Cause they actually introduced the 100 that's what they did. Um, instead of doing the another goal, they just added another the one hundred um, dollar backer package, which I kind of looked at and then I thought, no, I actually want the stuff that's in the seventy five dollar one, so I didn't bother getting it. Right. But anyways, and then of course you can't speak about Kickstarter this week <laughs> without discussing what is quite possibly one of the best interviews. I've ever read. And that was the interview that Rock Paper Shotgun did with Peter Moliner, which started with them asking him, do you think <laughs> you're a pathological liar? Now, any interview that starts with that, you know, is going to be good. <laughs> now, this was over an hour and a half of them talking. It was bloody long to read. I read through it all. Did you guys read them all? I read some of it it was painful i like, after a point when molly was just kind of retreading the same talking points i was like okay let me scroll a couple paragraphs because he's just gonna you know bullshit us to death here i mean look whenever it comes to anything involving peter molyneux i have this vision of like this like super weird dude just sitting at a table just smashing his hands on it going i am peter molyneux i am peter molyneux because that's everything he ever like says to anybody comes out to be just him flapping his mouth. Okay, well, I don't see that, but I I've, <laughs> I don't know how the hell that made sense. But <laughs> no, I I enjoyed it because of the honesty in it, and it's funny because the they've, they've taken some flack from it, and they've they've made comparison with the UK manner in which interviews are done, as well as Canadian as well, and things like that. And and I didn't take it as him being unduly harsh to him at all. In fact. 
that's kind of the interview I would have done. In fact, in some cases, I wouldn't have let him go on some of the things. Like it was, he kept at him for 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 when he was trying to talk around things. Granted, Mulliner still mm-hmm. managed to to talk <laughs> around things, but he kept after him, and I thought it was fantastic. It's it's about time that somebody, instead of stroking this Dev's Eping, is pushing him on this because like people are saying like they're taking it way too seriously it's just gaming for christ yes it is but he took a half a million pounds from the backers it's not just about the game it is very much about broken promises and the fact Mm -hmm. is is that he just said not long ago how they'd taken away a lot of the staff off of goddess to put on his new game the people didn't back the trail they backed goddess and when you hear over and over again the different things like the 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 point that he made like with over 30 years experiences to manage time and resources so poorly and then lie about it constantly is just mind-numbing it's it, it boggles the mind i don't understand how he can get away with that and i know that it's he runs his shop and it's his own thing and they've said that in other interviews as well too and things like that there was an interesting one at kotaku as well where they spoke to three ex-employees which you got to take that with a grain of salt kind of thing mm-hmm. but when you hear enough of it from other people some of it becomes a truth and so he has his way of doing it and that's how it's going to be and that's that but from that, you wind up getting this idiot that has no concept, despite being in the industry for 35 years, no concept of what it actually takes to make a fucking game. And when you're looking at now the broken Kickstarter promises, which will never come to bear, and taking that money and using it elsewhere or whatever, he should be held accountable for that. See, here's the thing with Kickstarter. When you, like, it was kind of what I had talked about last week when we were talking about it, that when you donate your money to a Kickstarter, there is no guarantee that that product will ever see the light of day. But there is an implicit promise that the person who is taking your money is going to put forth their best effort to make it happen. And that is where Molyneux has absolutely failed. And yeah. I, I think yeah. – I would have to look at what they are because from everything I've read, you're taking it too liberally as well. He is responsible for those backer promises. And if it not delivered on to the point where they've said the staff has been afraid that they would get sued for not following through on the promises, the Kickstarter promises, because those stretch goals are actual promises that they've made. Because here's the thing, like in at the bottom of every Kickstarter campaign, there's a list of the risks. What can go wrong that would cause this not to happen? Like when you look at uh, Shadowrun, they said there's basically no risk. The game is going to be made one way or another. The, the Kickstarter is just for publishing it and adding in extra stuff and making it better. Look at the risks. I'm going to pull it up right now. You guys can talk for a minute. The risks on the Goddess Kickstarter are hilarious. Give me a second. Pull it up. One of the other things that I found really interesting, yet more contradictions as well, is when he was talking about the publishers. Because the whole point with the Kickstarters was that they would need to get a publisher. Well, they got a publisher, but he says only for the mobile version. But... The PC version, they'd never get a a publisher for it. But the biggest delay that they're talking about was because of 
multiplayer, they had to rewrite the multiplayer because the multiplayer that they were using didn't work with the multiplayer that the publisher uses. And that's when they were saying, well, hold on a second. You just said that you're not using a publisher for the PC version, but obviously they're using the publisher's servers for the multiplayer for the PC version as well. So the publisher is, has got their hand in that cookie jar. You can't yeah. have it both ways, buddy. Well, and then and the other, I think that's the biggest problem. Like, Everything I'm hearing from it is, is like he seems to want to have it both ways and he just doesn't understand that that's not how this works. The other one, too, was the again, when they were speaking to the people who used to work there who were saying right from the get go, Mulliner was telling them in all of the, the, the meetings that their cash cow was going to be the mobile version. The PC was just going to be tacked on so that they can get the money from Kickstarter. The important thing was the mobile version where he was saying that they were going to be the next Rovio or, or King and that they'd be bringing in, quote unquote, millions of dollars per day. So he's, of course, denied that. But again, I really, based on what has happened and the lies that he says, I'm inclined to believe it. So one of the most telling things, too, was a quote from uh, Sam Tilburg, who is uh, an acquaintance of Molinier, because they were saying somebody was asking, why doesn't he just have a PR person so that he can keep his mouth shut? And uh, Van Tilburg replied, that used to be me. Problem is, problem is he never listens to advice and instead will bully and insult you until oblivion if you dare disagree with him. Went, wow. <laughs> So, yeah. And I loved his final quote. I I, I love his last quote, too. (laughs) Because, of course, it ended as well with him basically taking his ball and walking away with it. That said, I'm not talking to anybody anymore. Of course, he talked to two other people after that, including the Guardian. But that's it. I'm not doing any more press stuff anymore. That's it. But he was saying that uh, because everything I say misleads people, especially with me because I'm such an eloquent talker. <laughs> okay, Peter. <laughs> Did you find the the thing you wanted there, Vince? Yeah. So first of all, in Kickstarter's uh, terms of service, like I said, there is no guarantee from Kickstarter that the the project you're funding will actually be produced. But however, they talk. You know, creators who are honest and transparent will usually find backers to be understanding. And you know, just take that in mind. But said, if problems are severe enough that a creator can't fulfill their project, the creators need to find a resolution. Basically, Kickstarter is saying, yeah, we're under no legal obligation here, uh, but the people who you gave your money to should try to do the right thing. And yeah. again, that's where you have to, as a donator and as an investor you have to know what you're putting your money behind. In this case, it's Molyneux. But as for the risks that they said for Goddess, the challenge is to reinvent a genre and make a great game in a short space of time. We'll only release Goddess once it's the fantastic game we know it can be, and we want to get it into the hands of players in less than a year from now. Goddess is going to be powerful, unique, and rather wonderful, and luckily we're going to be able to draw on our Kickstarter's backers to beta test with us. Yes, if you back it, you can help us finish Goddess and blah, 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 blah. 
22 Cans has a lot of game industry veterans, so we know the risks. Goddess will be using new technology that has to be tested and perfected. Balancing and bug testing the game will also take time. There are many other factors. For example, curiosity, what's inside the cube? That freaking farce showed us what happens when everyone wants to engage with your product online at the same time. We learned a lot from that in a very short space of time. Finally, trying Kickstarter itself is a risk. Our backers deserve a great game they've funded, seen it through its development, and helped create. We can make it if we achieve the amount we're asking for. So at no point does he tell the backers what the risks are. Just says, we know what the risks are. We know what we're doing. And then gives a sales pitch. I, I mean, I'm sales sorry. About him. Yeah. Anybody that donated money to this campaign is stupid. I will flat out say that because, again, you are giving your money to someone based on promises. And even here where they're outlining the actual technical aspects of what they're going to do with your money, they're fucking you. They're just talking around the problem. And that's – I I feel bad for the people who have lost their investment. But at the same time, I kind of don't. You know what's funny is that all this – we have industry veterans – one of the main leads right now for this is the dude who was so fed up with how it was going in alpha that he worked with them for a year unpaid and now is finally somebody mm-hmm. higher up. He's the only one that's been honest about how badly things are going there. These aren't industry veterans. It's just some dude who'd had it with, with Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Anyways, I, yeah, I, like I said, it, it's worth a read. I, I thought it was – it's very long, don't kid yourself. But in terms of just a brutally honest interview that was very well handled, props to them. I It's an interview that I would have loved to have given because it mm-hmm. was, again, brutal and honest and very well done. In some other news this week, very briefly, looks like Mass Effect 4 is going to have multiplayer as well. Yay. Very hyped about that. Not a surprise. I mean, yeah, Mass Effect right. 3 had multiplayer, Dragon Age, good. Inquisition had multiplayer, and Mass Effect 3 had fantastic multiplayer. Yeah. I think Dragon Age kind of overreached a little bit with their multiplayer. They uh, have kind some of, issues. Yeah. It kind of made it a little too complicated to actually advance your characters. But again, it's something that's added on to the game. Like, I can't complain that the, the multiplayer isn't exactly what I was expecting because... The, the multiplayer is completely superfluous to the game. There's not even any trophies or achievements associated with it. Well, I'm so, hoping three will be four will be more like threes multiplayer. Yeah, that, it, that was so fun. Some, and well, it made a difference too in how you progressed in well, your. Well, to a certain degree, it did. Not in yeah, a but huge I wasn't way, crazy about that. <laughs> oh, I did. I loved it, but that's because I played the freaking multiplayer like crazy. Tristan and I played that all the time. It was so much. He oh, still has it installed to play. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, I mean, if they can do that again, oh my God, I, well, I'll pick it up for PC for sure, because I will have to play it on, on PC, of course. Okay, we also got some news about a DLC that I figured Joe would be very excited about. Well, it's not just the DLC, well, there's two things going on, there's a DLC and an expansion. Um, so Rebirth is actually getting a, a Binding of Isaac Rebirth, the game that I absolutely positively adore, is getting an expansion called Afterbirth. Uh, it's going to have over 100 new items. It's going to have a brand new game mode. Uh, it's going to have 10 additional challenges, which the interesting thing about these challenges is that these challenges are ones that 
they asked players to come up with so that they could kind of get gauge like what the community wants. Because one thing that, about this game that a lot of people don't realize is that there is a lot of community support here from the developers. They go to the streamers, they go to the people, and they, they will go to the blogs and they listen to what people have to say. And so they're taking the challenges that players have come up with and they're starting to put those into the expansion, which includes some but not limited to, and I found a list of them, triple uh, XL room challenge where all floors are extra large but have the max amount of rooms per XL floor. XL floors are basically two floors combined into one. It's incredibly difficult. You have to fight two bosses at the end of it. has double item rooms but is just massive, massive amount of space. High speed where the game plays at two times the normal speed, which is insane. Uh, Sonic, all doors are arcade doors, and you start with 99 coins, and you have to spend a coin to get into each and every door, which is absolutely hysterical and terrible. And then if you get to uh, zero coins, you die. (laughs) Uh, Max hearts is you start with the maximum number of heart containers, but no hearts will drop in the entire game. So you have all the health you need, but you can't replenish it if you take hits. Uh, High rules, you start with Mom's Knife and Trinity Shield and Boomerang, uh, which are some of the greatest items in the game. Uh, But at the basically, it's called High Rule because, well, you got a sword, a shield, and a boomerang, your link. Uh, Rollers, each time you complete a room, all of your items and stats are re-rolled, but the pools aren't depleted, which means everything you've gathered can re-roll into one of the other items in the game, and it completely randomizes your play experience. Uh, brains, you start with three to four uh, what's called Bob's Brains. These are these little exploding brain things that you fire out and they explode on contact. If you start with three to four of them and blindfolded, these are your only set of, you don't get tears, this is your only set of damage. You're going to explode yourself. Uh, Blue Bomber is a blue baby and you get Kamikaze and you have flying plus one of the new DLC items. Uh, with 99 bombs and you're blindfolded so you can't fire. So you basically have to use nothing but bombs. And then another one where you start in the boss rush room, which is a special room where you have to face every single boss in the game. Now, that also is scary because not only are they introducing new items, they're introducing brand new bosses, a brand new final boss, a brand new playable character, an alternate final chapter, Uh, different alternate floors so like you have options like the basement or the cellar which changes the type of enemies you face and the difficulty of the floor there's going to be different versions of those alt floors now um there's going to be new cards new pills new consumable pickups uh new co-op babies uh which are it's a there is a local co-op mode for this game where you can sacrifice one of your health containers to a second player to come in as a what's called a baby. It's like a familiar that is, works independently of the main character that the second player can control, which is a lot of fun. And one of the things that people have been really asking for is new transformations. In the game, if you get a certain amount of items, uh, like if you get four fly items, you become Lord of the Flies. It lets you fly. It turns all enemy flies into friendly flies for you. There's also one called Guppy, which is if you find... Th- Three of the five pieces of your dead cat, you turn into a version of your dead cat, uh, which is one of the (laughs) which allows you to fly. (laughs) (laughs) It allows you to fly, generate flies, uh, causes uh, all sorts of other things. One of the items is like a um, 
a hairball, which you can swing into people like a mace and cause damage. Um, you can get the tail, which lets you get extra extra golden chests, which usually have a higher percentage payout for items and uh, consumables. But there's a bunch of other items, like the Bob's items. There's multiples of those in there, but you can't turn into the cursed poisonous Bob. Um, the There's also dismembered portions of a, your second cat and your dog in the game that you can get. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see those as transformations. This is amazing to me because I've already, the base gameplay itself is already 100 to 200, 300 hours. They're adding another 100 to 200 to 300 hours of gameplay in this DLC, in, in this expansion. And then if that wasn't enough, if you haven't gone to Rebirth, there's going to be another DLC, a free DLC to the original game if you own Wrath of the Lamb that's going to have new play mode, new items, new bosses, new difficulties, basically mirroring this, but for free so that you can play it if you have the original game, which is absolutely amazing. This is a group of developers that love their players. Yeah, yeah, agreed. See, the thing that I find fascinating about what they're doing here is the way Binding of Isaac works, how everything interacts, and it's a lot about a lot of the success in the game is built around combining uses for items and whatnot. When you're adding one thing to the game, you're not adding one thing. You're adding one thing and how it interacts with all the existing things in the game. So this DLC isn't just adding more stuff. It's exponentially increasing the complexity of the game, and that's mind-boggling. Okay, let's move on to Crowfall. We got a bunch of news for this as well, including new class, some lore, as well as some pricing information as well. I'll tackle the pricing, and then Joel will pass to you so you can talk about some of the lore that we, sure. we got information here. Now, the pricing structure that they're going to be going with is going to be buy to play, so you Pay for the game once. They're saying that you're looking at a probably approximately $50. And then you can play it for free as long as you want. It's going to come with three character slots plus one passive training slot. Now, before I go any further, I have to say that actually disappoints me. Now, we still don't have a ton of information on how it's going to work with the campaigns and stuff like that. So maybe that's a lot. But being the altaholic that I am, mm-hmm. that was actually a fairly big concern. I'm assuming they'll offer more as paid, which is fine. I mean, that's what Guild Wars 2 does, and I don't have a problem. But Guild Wars 2 starts you off with enough to begin with that you have a number of vaults. Three character slots? That's really not a lot. Does it, doesn't it look like there's 12 or 18 different types of classes so and characters? you can play. Yeah, I... Not impressed. They they are saying that if you go for the VIP membership package, which is going to be, of course, the $15 a month, you'll have a passive training slot for each of your three character slots. That still is not going to help much, and it's still not enough characters. The other big thing is... I don't know if everybody else agrees with me. I, I have a feeling they do. $15 was fine when there was two to three MMOs when it was EQ and um, wow. When it first came out and things like that, there wasn't a ton. 15 bucks wasn't a big deal. Now there's too many MMOs and a lot of them certainly are going for the buy to play or free to play models. Some of them eventually like elder scrolls is doing that coming up soon, but 
there's still a lot of them that are charging. And I still think that 15 is too much. And instead of looking at it in terms of we will get more people to pay if we charge 8 to $10, they're thinking about fewer at the $15. And I just have a huge problem with that. I think we're at a point now where 15 that that's got to change. We need more devs to understand that that has to change and that we'll give their games a chance and we'll, we'll give them money. Christ, I've spent a small fortune on free-to-play games, sometimes more than I would for the $15 a month. I have, so, I have spent as much on free-to-play games that I enjoy as, as I have in subscription fees to World of Warcraft. Yeah, like I, I've spent more on Guild Wars 2 than if I would have been paying $15 a month. But here's the thing. I bought the things that I wanted and I didn't mind giving them the money because I didn't feel they were screwing me. If you're going to be charging this though, it is, it does feel like you're trying to screw your player base. I'm sorry. 15 is just too much. I agree. 15 is outrageous for what they're quote offering here. Like even comparing what they're giving you for $15 here to what other free to play Games are giving you for the fifteen dollar option. This is well. Go ahead and list it. Severely lacking. Oh, I don't have it. In you front don't have of me well, right now. it. Sounded like you had it ready there. Well, I <laughs> listen. What did we say earlier? Since I wasn't the one that had to read this, I had the knowledge of it, but no notes. <laughs> I believe those. Those. Exactly I, I believe this was Joe's, anyways. Initially, so I, Joe <laughs> should have it. <laughs> yes, behind the scenes access to development. Uh, like you said, the passive training slots, priority access to servers, a special badge on the forums, discount on any purchases, which could be okay, and other uh, non-balance affecting, so, so, so probably you know, cosmetic effects. For 15 bucks a month, that's jack. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's, that's nothing. Like that, For what you get for that premium quote-unquote price, you're getting nothing. I don't feel like a VIP with that. No, no I feel like I'm getting gouged. I feel like I'm already giving you $50 for the game. You just want another 15 out of me to get that 65 that you think you should be getting in the first place. And you just want to bleed me monthly for basic shit. Yeah. Okay, they did announce The Confessor, and we actually just got the Stalker. I don't know if you read up on that as well, Joe. Um, I'm actually behind on the stalker, but I did read through all of the War of the Gods. Okay, give us the information on the Confessor and the War of the Gods, please. So the Confessor is actually really interesting. It's a ranged DPS role that I believe, just from the description in the story, revolves very heavily around fire. Uh, we see a couple of different splash images, one of which is the male Confessor with a fiery hand and book. and looks like he's carrying a brand. And the female confessor, who looks like she's walking out of something that she just lit on fire, super action style, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it looks like this is a playoff of the old uh, Sin Eater type thing, where it's this person's job is to go out and find people who have strayed from the path of good and righteousness and purge them with fire or get them to, you know, recant their sins and come back to the side of light through pain of torture. And I think that's actually really, really kind of interesting because that's exactly what confessors used to do in like the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> torture you until you agree to see it our way. And that seems exactly what this per- like this class is going to be. I like it because the backstory behind it is very much the kind of typical cleric sort of class. But instead of being all about, you know, protection and healing, they're like, no, I'm going to fuck up some evil. Yeah. 
Yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was awesome. Before you go to the um, sure the, the the War of the Gods thing, the Stalker is very much a kind of a, a hunter type class, but the play on it here is you're basically playing as an elk. So instead of the being the hunted, they are the ones that are actually the hunters. It's kind of cool seeing an elk with a bow. <laughs> <laughs> God, I like that. The backstory they gave for him is actually fairly interesting where it's, again, it's the elk who's doing the the hunt and who's tracking based on the, 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 the smell and whatnot, too. It can hear to the point of, like, it, it, even what type of armor the person is wearing the, the, or the thing that they're, he's tracking. It's actually fairly cool. So if it's a blend between kind of a rogue and a, a hunter thing... It's it's a ranged DPS, so not too much roguish, but uh, high dexterity kind of class with low intellect to, to spirit. So you again, you're looking very much at a hunter type class, but with that twist, might be a lot of fun. That's hilarious. Yeah, it reminds me of an old '90s game. Do you remember Redneck Rampage back and in the day? Exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Redneck Rampage. <laughs> oh my god! They had they had they had a sequel that was called The Revenge, and you were a deer that was hunting rednecks. How the hell did we both remember that? I don't know, because we, we're very disturbed individuals. All right. What about the War of the Gods? What do we have there? So here, this is actually one of the more interesting sort of backstories that I've seen a game do in a long time. One of my favorite things is reading mythology and reading from the various backgrounds. And how they've laid it out here actually is very reminiscent of most prose, creation myths, and everything that we've seen from other like real world religions, which is kind of interesting. It talks about uh, Vulcan, uh, who's the ancient creator, how he creates the world, uh, creates the dragon throne, which is his sort of seat of power and command. Uh, talks about how uh, the other was it the king of snakes and the queen of worms uh, were his children uh, and how he created through them the world that we see and that these, the children of these, these deities go through and they populate the world and they kind of do their thing just like we would expect to see from anywhere else. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it's very down to earth. It's very like, if you didn't know this was a video game, you would expect that this was an actual like creation mythology that you would have seen from somewhere else. And I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if you guys got that feel from it at all. I actually didn't get a chance to read through that one. So, okay. They also- I, I think they put forth a good effort, but at, at least for me personally, like the language didn't quite fit. Like it was a little too modern for yeah. the style they were trying to recreate. Not yeah, to say it was bad. It was just it. It, it was a solid effort. <laughs> and then there's there's a lot of. Um, just want to say holes in it like this is just like the teasers like we get a a, we get something from the book of creation uh we get something from the book of justice and we get something from uh the book of shadows and it basically talks about the rise of civilizations in bits and clumps uh it talks about the death of gaia and the coming of the hunger and how the hunger is actually a component of the death of gaia uh and then it talks about uh basically all these races starting to kind of rise up against it and it, it definitely fits thematically the world that they're going the one thing my one of my biggest complaints not just the language i can forgive the language to a certain point there's just not enough 
Like that's that's the one complaint I have here. Like there's lots of tiny little snippets. Like we're talking about duels between high princes, and we're talking about uh, sky hunters, and we're talking about you know the hunger. But there's not a whole lot tying it together. These are all like patches of the story here and there. And this seems like this would be really cool if they laid it out in a very rolling, well thought out progression. But what it is right here has it's presented. It's not enough to kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it wets the palate, but there's not enough to sate the thirst. That's why I didn't read through it right away because it really didn't look like it had enough to do much for me. I was skimming mm. through a whole bunch of other news. And so when I looked at it and I went, okay, well, there's not enough here. So I just kind of bypassed it. But it sounds like they're <laughs> okay, onto something. Okay, we're going to put it in the not- Joe file. Oh. It, it fit with everything else that they'd announced. So it was <laughs> one big thing here. Have at her. All right. It's just fine. The, uh, we're going to wrap up. the uh, for, for those who are interested, you still have time on the Humble Bundle bundle that is still on for a day if you want a pigeon pillowcase. I was a little, uh, <laughs> I had to ask what the hell that was all about. I am oh, going to, I'm sure. Who did you ask? I, well, I asked on Twitter because it was like, what the oh, hell? Cause I pulled I up the thing. I got a, I got an email about it. So I always get like three or four emails for humble bundle. And so I, I looked at it and, I, and then it said for $35, you could unlock it. I'm looking at the pigeon. I thought, Oh, this is going to be stupid anime crap. It's a pigeon. It's a, what the hell is a pigeon? Doing on a pillowcase. And I, had, then, I had to explain to Roger on Twitter what a hot of a boy, boyfriend oh, was. I've never looked into this boyfriend game. Obviously, <laughs> not really my thing. So I went, what the hell is this all about? And then a whole bunch of people were saying, we actually heard it's really good. So I bought it. <laughs> and I will report on this. Oh, now, oh, I did. Oh, God, please God. live stream. Please live stream. Oh, so it was oh, funny oh, because oh, I, was, I was thinking... I need to buy this pillowcase and then put it on my wife's side of the bed and then just wait for the mayhem that will ensue. But then I thought, that's a little pricey for a joke. So I didn't go with the the, the pillowcase, but I did get this hotful boyfriend and I will be reporting on this game once I play it. I have to. Pigeons in love. It's like Goodfellas meets The Notebook. <laughs> I also picked up the Star Wars one that was last week. I had a couple of those, but not all of them. Body pillow too. No, wouldn't that be something? An Anakin body pillow. (laughs) And there is one now for folks who are interested. It's the Square Enix one, and there's a whole bunch of some of them spectacular Square Enix games, like Tomb Raider. If you haven't played Tomb Raider, uh, definitely worth picking up. There's stuff like Thief, which did not get great reviews, but if you're only paying six bucks for it, then hey, it's worth it. Plus Deus Ex, the uh, Human Revolution, and Hitman, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm not going to bother with that one because I have most of the games already. But for anybody who doesn't, there you go. So make sure to keep listening because we have two features coming up. We have the feature on our mellow that I said I was going to do, and I am. It is, like I said, a wonderful game. I've put a lot more time into it, and I am just 
so much in love with the lore, the story, and everything about it. I've went through all of their stuff online to get more about the story as well, and I'm hoping that more is going to come out for the story as they are working on the game, which is what the contact that I have there has said. They're putting in a lot more because the game is still in early development, so I'm really looking forward to seeing more from that. And of course, we've got the feature from Vince on Game of Thrones, a game from Telltale, I'm looking forward to playing that one as well, and we'll probably discuss it as we each get to play it later on as well. Absolutely. Yep. With that, we are going to call it a wrap. Thank you to those who joined us in the live audience. You can join us every week on Mondays when I'm feeling up to it at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And you can find us, of course, at ForTheLore.com. Leave us some comments on what you thought of the episode. You can also leave us comments on iTunes and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually, Joe at LordRZJ, Vince at Simodian, and myself at Zen Buddhist. Thank you all, and we'll talk to you next week. Last week marked the 10th anniversary of Telltale Games' first release, Telltale Texas Hold'em. In the decades since, they've made their name with traditional adventure games across a wide number of licensed properties, before settling into what people now see as the Telltale formula with The Walking Dead in 2012. It's been very interesting to see how they've adapted that formula to a wide variety of games since. Terror and Suspense with The Walking Dead, a detective story in Wolf Among Us, a two-sided heist-slash-con job in Tales of the Borderlands, and now a high-stakes fantasy political drama in Game of Thrones. While those previous efforts have been prequels, sequels, or side stories to existing franchises, Game of Thrones has the much more difficult job of fitting in with the existing narrative of the TV show's third and fourth seasons. Telltale achieves this by focusing on the story of House Forrester, a minor family barely mentioned in the books and as yet unseen in the TV series. This allows them to tell a full story that meshes with the existing narrative without stepping on its toes. However, Telltale makes it feel like a proper part of the story by using Peter Dinklage, Natalie Dormer, and other members of the show's cast in their now iconic roles. Right from the start, the stakes are high, with Episode 1 kicking off at the Red Wedding, one of the most pivotal events in the entire series. The Telltale formula is used to great effect here and throughout the episodes. One of the tenets of Game of Thrones is that no character is safe. It's a harsh world and anyone can be struck down at any moment. So Telltale, using their trademark, so-and-so will remember that, to make every character and decision seem important, makes things more shocking when those supposedly important characters are killed off. It's the flip side to the jokes they made using the system in Tales from the Borderlands. Once the dust settles on the opening scenes, the game's story breaks the mold of previous Telltale experiences by moving back and forth between four separate stories. You have the core of the Forrester family trying to defend their lands and home in a political climate now run by their longtime enemies, the eldest daughter navigating the complex intricacies of life in the king's court, the exiled brother trying to get back to a family that needs him now more than ever, and the ill-fated squire sent away to protect the honor of the family he's faithfully served his whole life. It works well with the episodes jumping from one setting to another in the same style as the books in the show, with the decisions you make with one character potentially having consequences for another hundreds of miles away. 
The first episode, Iron from Ice, largely gets by on manipulating the player and making their decisions feel important, but ultimately feels cheap by the end. No matter what you do, no matter what decisions you make, the story is railroaded to a specific ending point. Don't get me wrong, it's a great narrative and a truly shocking moment. It drives home the concept that sometimes, no matter what you do, no matter the decisions you make, certain events are out of your control. Unfortunately, at the same time, it makes the previous two hours feel more like an interactive cutscene instead of an actual game with consequences. Thankfully, Episode 2, The Lost Lords, redeems the series by actually making the players' decisions matter. Every horrible thing that happens to the Foresters during the episode can be traced back to a choice made earlier on. And trust me, things seem to keep getting worse for the family. It's actually a great use of the license. Game of Thrones exists as a story about a terrible, broken society where the average life is near constant pain and misery. The interesting stories center around the few individuals that can rise above this and survive long enough to bring about true change. After the second episode, I'm finally on board with seeing whether or not the Foresters can succeed in restoring their house or are destined to be no more than a footnote in the history of Westeros. Looking back and comparing the first two episodes, Iron From Ice feels more like a prologue to the real story than anything else. Looking at it this way makes sense, given that Game of Thrones is six episodes long instead of Telltale's usual five. They temporarily sacrificed player agency for the sake of narrative before handing the reins back. It's almost as if to say, you thought you were screwed before? No, now you're screwed. Have fun getting out of this situation. They took a chance, and it remains to be seen if it will pay off. Because of this, Game of Thrones may actually play better as a marathon instead of splitting up the episodes into individual sessions. Either way, Game of Thrones took a little longer to hit its stride than previous Telltale stories. But now that it has, I'm finally interested for the long haul. King contracts the rot, an illness which plunges him further and further into madness. The four great clans of Armello send their finest to vie for the crown on behalf of their clan. From the frozen north, the wolf clan sends Thane, the winter wolf. While still young by wolf standards, Thane is famed for winning tournaments, duels, and challenges since he was a pup. His father, an iron wolf of past wars, was not always pleased with the brash Thane, though with the elder wolf slain and Thane's brother missing, it rests on this young wolf's shoulder to best or heal the Lion King. The Rabbit Clan, a brilliant and industrious culture, send Amber, the far seeker, and former heirs. This socialite, however, is far more interested in raiding dungeons and ruins. With a sword in one hand and an intelligence and wit as sharp, she epitomizes the true relic hunter. It is not nobles and their ways which she reveres, but rather the books and tales of epic adventures. 
From the forest comes Sana, the forest sister. While the wild does not come as naturally to other clans, it is bred into the bear clan, who are said to have walked the lands during the time of the Druids of old. Everwise, these beings serve the royal court as spiritual advisors and sorcerers and continue to practice ancient Druid rituals shrouded in mystery, thought of as ruthless by some of the other clans. Sana's bond with the wild is renowned, but though a prophecy surrounds her, she remains bound to the earth and humble. Finally, from the largest of Ormello's clans, the rats, comes Mercurio, the Grinning Blade. Charming and romantic, as most scoundrels are, the self-proclaimed lord has a reputation for always winning, saving the village, and getting the girl in the end. He's also known for redistributing the wealth to the poor by way of emptying the nobles' coin purses. Don't let their size sway your thoughts on their influence, however, as the rat clan is far-reaching, masters of espionage, underworld trading, and politics. It's said that wherever there is trouble, there's often a rat lurking nearby. Our Mellow from League of Geeks is a spectacular game, filled with breathtaking visuals and surprising depth of gameplay. At first glance, you may see a simple tactics game on the surface. However, there's so much more to explore during the course of your journey to take the king's place. The tactics in questions allow for much more complicated gameplay if you're familiar with such games. That said, thanks to the wealth of other gameplay mechanics thrown at you like candy from the sky, everyone will find something fun and interesting, whether new to the genre or seasoned. In addition to the tactics play, League of Geeks has added a tabletop feel by including combat that relies heavily on dice rolls. And if that's not enough to sate your geek appetite, there are even over a hundred animated cards with more on the way, which allow you to equip items onto your hero, cast spells on yourself and others, or even lay traps for your rivals. Mercurio's been gathering a little too much of the king's favor, or a little too much coin in his purse? Lay a trickery card down near where he's located. He'll stumble into it. League of Geeks has already added 10 new cards, which if they've called the Deal with Darkness, which includes dark spells, items, and tricks. And it's important to mention, because despite being fully playable now, the game is still in development, and the crew is working hard at bringing even more enhancements. And something as simple as 10 cards actually adds a lot of depth to Armello's gameplay. Cards play a large role in your strategies moving forward. However, they also affect combat, which is influenced not just by your dice rolls and equipped cards, but also any cards which you choose to burn in order to gain additional die. You've only got so many seconds to decide if you'd like to burn off any of those precious cards, however, so you best decide quickly before Thane's sword comes to bear on your armor. Between the procedurally generated maps and dynamic quest lines, each session is a little different from the last, especially depending on which hero you choose. Each have their own special talents, such as Mercurio's scoundrel talent, which allows him to steal one goal from the other, the owners of settlements, when you claim it. This will make a big difference in what spells and tricks you choose to play and which you choose to burn. Additionally, which equipable armor or weapon or party members you receive will greatly influence the choices you make going forward, whether you intend to take down the Lion King before the Rod has claimed him, or you choose to wait the illness out, claiming instead as many settlements and favors as possible in order to win by way of prestige. And yes, I said party members. 
I found these to be very rare during each of my sessions. However, this just added to my excitement whenever one joined in on my journey. And invariably, each made me change my tactics, which resulted in renewed interest in the outcome of the game. In terms of style, Armello's bright, beautiful palette catches your breath, whether trekking through the mountains in the evening while grays and purples cast shadows of darkness and rot upon the tiles around you, or during the daytime when the sun casts long shadows upon neighboring settlements. The cards are also spectacularly animated, and combat is engaging and gripping, despite relying so heavily on tabletop mechanics which could be perceived as static. Online multiplayer is extremely fun as actual opponents prove to be far more cunning and devious, such as a gamer's mentality when there's a crown on the line. That said, the AI is quite robust and poses a decent challenge. I would like to see it beefed up a bit, however, or even an option added for quote-unquote veterans. I'd also like to see a pause and reload function for single-player mode, as some games can run a little longer if you're waiting for the rot to consume all of the king's life. Still, as mentioned earlier, this game is in development, available on Steam as early access, and these things may yet be introduced. In addition to the four clans, Kickstarter backers also have access to the Bandit Clan, full of murderers, rogues, and morally bankrupt characters. I'm very hopeful that these and others may be made available as DLC purchases in time. Anyone who's listened to For the Lore for any period of time knows that we are all very honest with our opinion when it comes to games. So when I say that this is a brilliant game that deserves your attention, know that I mean it. While the genre may not appeal to all, those who are fans of tactics, tabletop games, and TCGs will fall in love with our mellow hard. I liked it. You won't. Okay. Okay. Like, just trust me. I liked it. You won't. I'm debating that freaking Diablo. Man. I already own it. Yeah, but this. But then on the other hand, the reason I don't still play it from time to time is because it's not. I can't play it from my couch. There you go. <laughs> we could play couch co-op. I could play couch Ooh. co-op with Tristan and you could join in and we'd, we'd be able to play. There you Come go. Come on. <laughs> Dude. But I've already leveled so many characters to 70. <laughs> so? It's the leveling thing that's fun. It's not the getting to 70. It's the leveling process. It's the getting legendaries. You get those all the time now. <laughs> they drop like freaking candy from the sky. <sighs> God damn it. This is not going to end well. <laughs> no, no, it's not. That is the sound of codeine and red wine. <laughs> Did you uh, see that link I tweeted at you? I saw it, but I hadn't. I didn't go all the way through it yet. Yeah, it's a, it's a breakdown of all the different worlds and secret wars. 
said, while the crossover itself may be questionable, there are some cool things they're doing with it. It sounds very much like a new 52. Like, really very much yeah, like it, a Yeah, it's Flashpoint is all it is. Oh my god. So let's hope the ending is a little less uh, traumatic. But just like Flashpoint, there are some cool fucking stories in there. Yeah. Where the hell is he? When was the last time you talked to him? He knows it's tonight. When was the last time you reminded him? I haven't talked to anybody today for the most part. He better because he's taking point on some of these things. (laughs) I don't want to say I haven't read them because I did, but... There's a difference between reading it and being prepared. Paying attention. Then I won't. So, Planet Hulk. How is this? Okay. Don't, don't question it. Doesn't have to make sense. Of particular interests are 7, 16, 13, and 31. Okay, how do we have a Planet Hulk and a dystopia? Why not? Because that means two Hulks. Okay, there's like seven X Men universes. And besides, Steve Rogers riding a dinosaur fighting hulks. I'll read that. <laughs> Come on. I didn't say they were all winners. Technopolis. Because, yeah, what we need is more Stark right now. Another Spider-Verse? Okay, sure. Exactly. <laughs> and the one right after it? Why not? Oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> oh. There's the one I was waiting for you to see. <laughs> Damn, I'm going to have to make my way into the comic book store. <laughs> Cyclops has duck lips. Looks like he's posing for a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yes. (laughs) Oh my god, what the hell is up with Westchester? Okay. Oh, look at who decided to show up. Alright. Technically, he's not late. (laughs) Supposed to be here for the pre-show. Don't encourage him. That's right. You get the squeaky ball back after the show, Tiny Dog. <laughs> hey, your dog didn't fart today, Roger. <laughs> kept her the hell off of me. I may be white. She might have, and I just didn't smell it. It's like a five o'clock thing. She smells like death. That's why we take ours for a bath every month. Well, bath ain't going to help crap. That's true. We also had that problem. It was not fun. I don't think it's her food either. But man, she could clear a room. Something that weighs we, less um, than ten pounds. Man, <laughs> <laughs> we actually uh, we actually switched off. Uh, got the dogs on grain free stuff, and it helped a lot. Yeah. 
course, Karen says she blames me because I, I let her to I let her like lick the yogurt, <laughs> lick the, the my spoon for when I'm done with any ice cream or anything. Or <laughs> stuff just mysteriously makes its way onto the floor. I don't know what you're talking about. She's eating the same food all the time. It's like, come on, let her have a little treat. And then later, it's like, this is your fault. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's fairly accurate to how this house goes to. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, hey, Oogs, oh my he, god, Hoog's made it. How's it going? Come to rant about something? <laughs> Don't worry, we'll be talking about something for him to rant about. <laughs> okay, no it's injury. It's as if we knew. Always prepared. <laughs> we have a special file of if Hoogs shows up. <laughs> Hoogs was very nice and wished me a happy birthday. Thank you, Hoogs. Okay. Now, seriously, shut up. I run out of money and luck. So I bought me a ride down to Macon, Georgia on an overloaded poultry truck. I thumbed on down to Panama City, started picking out some of them all night bars. I'm hoping I can make myself a dollar making music on my guitar. I got the same old story, them all night tears. There ain't no room around here for a guitar man. We don't need a guitar man, son. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. If you ever take a trip down to the ocean and find yourself down around Mobile, make it on out to a club called Jack's if you got a little time to kill. Just follow that crowd of people, you'll wind up out on his dance floor. Digging to find his little five-piece group up and down the Gulf of Mexico. I guess who's leading that five-piece band? Wouldn't you know it's that swinging little guitar man? Hey, hey, hey.